It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Bear River Lodge. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Hour number two, and the final one for another week of KSL Outdoors Radio. It's always uh, great to have you listening along here. Just a reminder we're recording this program on Thursday. And as we speak, there's uh, a chance, anyway, as you listen to this on Saturday morning, that we could get another round. Don't think it's going to be a lot of snow, but another round of precipitation coming uh, throughout the day today or throughout the night tonight, anyway, and carrying over into Sunday. So keep that in mind for your outdoor activities. Before we get to our first interview of this hour, I just want to remind you what's uh, still to come. And it's a bit of a mystery right now, actually, what uh, where we're going to be headed on the road with our road tripping guys, Bob and Mark from Road Trippin' with BobandMark.com, but we'll look forward to that conversation in about 10 minutes or so. Also, uh, Snow Day today takes us to Snow Basin. These storm tracks, for whatever reason, it, it was actually kind of weird. You know, we hear during hurricanes or tornadoes, for instance, maybe more tornadoes, that uh, when a storm passes over, it can be perfectly calm in the eye of the storm and just mayhem on the outside of the storm. We felt a little like that with the snowstorms this past week because we were reporting no snow in downtown Salt Lake City, and they were just getting pounded up in Davis and Weber County and farther north. And even uh, with the southern track coming into ski resorts like Sundance, who have had just a crazy amount of snow compared to their normal snowfall up Provo Canyon. Uh, So we thought we'd check in with uh, Snow Basin and uh, talk to our buddy Davey Ratchford, who uh, heads things up up there, and we'll find out what the skiing is like and what else is happening at the resort here as we approach mid-season. And I guess we're a little beyond that, but mid-season for... uh, the ski season here. Lots to do over the next hour, and I'm glad you're here with me. Uh, joining me now, though, and I'm looking forward to this conversation, is uh, Chris Kelleher. He is the uh, June Sucker Recovery Implementation Program Director, which I always joke, Chris, is tough to get on a, a business card. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a pretty long title. Yeah, that's a long title. These uh, recovery programs, we don't, we don't think uh, about business cards when we put them together we just want to make sure we got all the right uh, words there for what we're trying to do yeah we wanted to talk about some uh, projects that are taking place in the provo river delta restoration area uh, and the project that is associated with it before we get there i ask you a question before we jumped on and it's sort of the elephant in the room that it, people for whatever reason have a hard time connecting to these june sucker stories and why we spend so much time and effort in uh, recovering habitat for them. Can we start there today? Sure. There's a, there's a couple of aspects there. You know, one is that uh, by recovering June sucker, we're, we're taking an ecosystem approach to, to doing that. And by improving the ecosystem, it benefits all the species that depend on it and then also benefits the people that use that ecosystem as well. So uh, we definitely take an ecosystem approach when we 
recovered June sucker, we're looking at the Utah Lake ecosystem and its tributaries and improving that so that it benefits the target species. But like I said, it has broader benefits than just June sucker. But the the practical side of the June sucker recovery program is that it has two go- two goals. The first, of course, is to recover the June sucker, but the second is to do this in the context of uh, continued water use and development for the human population on the Wasatch Front. And as long as we are making progress towards recovering the species. We don't get any uh, interference through the Endangered Species Act regulations or from the federal government in terms of our water development and use. And that's hugely important for for the Wasatch Front and the state of Utah. That might be the best uh, explanation I've ever heard when it comes to this this topic, so I appreciate that. I joked with you before we started to uh, chat here on the air. Uh, that uh, some people, and this is not all, but some people, if you can't uh, catch it and kill it, <laughs> they just don't have an interest. But that explains why we should have an interest. You mentioned the Endangered Species Act. The fact is this fish isn't found anywhere else in the world, right? No, uh, it's what we say is endemic to the Utah Lake system. That means it occurs only in Utah Lake and nowhere else. And 30 years ago, the the species was critically close to extinction, really on the brink of extinction. And in just 30 years, with the right uh, partners involved that have the the authority over uh, managing the different threats and managing the things we need to to move towards recovery, we've uh, made huge strides, and we're, we're really on the path to recovery. And you mentioned the Provo River Delta restoration, this is uh, what we feel is really the last link in the chain to get that species recovered. As we speak today, Thursday, uh, there's a big event going on down there, and, and we jumped on early with you so that you could head that way. What's going on? Yeah, we're, uh, we're in the process of today, actually, we're going to turn water into the restored Provo River Delta, which is an an area of about 260 acres that's just north of where the existing Provo River enters Utah Lake. And and the the existing Provo River has been altered uh, to to help with flood control over the years and that sort of thing. And it, it was just channelized and really didn't provide the habitat for young June sucker to, for one thing, avoid predation from the predator, fish predators that are in the system. But then uh, it really didn't have the right habitat conditions either just because of that, the way it was channelized and simplified. So what we've done is we've, we've created what's known as a delta, and that's a transition zone between a river system and a lake system that provides habitat complexity and kind of changes from that fast-moving river into uh, braided channels and and wetland habitats. And that's really what the uh, June sucker needs uh, for its early life stages to survive out in that system. And once we have this habitat, we feel that the fish will be able to complete its whole life cycle in the Utah Lake system, and we'll be we'll be close to recovery at that point. Interesting. 
Uh, so the entire river has been diverted, or this is a separate channel? And if it is, I'm sorry for the dumb question here. H- how do you make the young uh, June sucker fry head that way? So the entire river is not being diverted. We are retaining some flow into the existing channel, and eventually we will probably develop that into a community fishery for you know, young kids to go ride their bikes down the Provo River Trail, take their fish poles, and be able to be able to have a nice place to go fishing. But the majority of the water will flow into the new delta. And how these fish uh, behave is the the adults move up into the river uh, during the spring runoff, and they spawn. Their eggs uh, uh, stay in the gravel, much like. A trout. They, they spawn really similar to how a trout spawns. The eggs are in the gravel for about 10 days, and the what we call larvae hatch out of the gravel. They have a yolk sac that they feed off of while they drift down the flowing river. And the idea is this yolk sac lasts long enough until they get into those habitats that provide the right conditions and the food that they need to survive. And the old channel didn't do that, but this this new restored delta, uh, the reason we've done it is to provide that key type habitat. That is a ton of work over the last three years, but I understand there's uh, even more work coming, uh, downsizing the existing Provo River between Lakeshore Drive and Lakeview Parkway, installing a small dam close to the uh, Utah Lake State Park in order to maintain water levels and several other things. Uh, I'm just going to direct people to a website if they want more information on the project. It's ProvoRiverDelta.us. And do you want to give a shout-out to the organizations that have been involved with this process so far, including, by the way, the U.S. Department of Interior? Right. The uh, U.S. Department of Interior Central Utah Project Completion Office has been a key player. They're a joint lead in the project along with the Central Utah Water Conservancy District and um, the, the, um, I'm drawing a blank. I shouldn't because I know these guys. Well, uh, let me run off some of them for you because I do have a list in front of me. Uh, The Central Utah Water Conservancy District, June Sucker Recovery Implementation Program, Uh, The Department of Interior we talked about, Fish and Wildlife on on the U.S. side, the Bureau of Reclamation, and then a lot of Provo River, Provo Reservoir uh, help, the Utah Division of Water Quality, and the list goes on and on. Yeah, and Division of Wildlife Resources is a huge player. They, of course, do all the the monitoring of the fish and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it's it's all about partnership if you're going to be effective at at recovering a species that's on the endangered species list. And and we've uh, been really successful at getting the right partners together in this program, and and our success uh, just demonstrates we've been able to do that. Yeah. Well, this is one of those projects that unless we shed a little light on it, would go without notice by many. So we wanted to make sure we did our part to do that today. Thanks for uh, the great explanation of why we should care about the June Sucker and the recovery project that is ongoing. We'll let you get to the event today, Chris. Thanks for your help. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Really appreciate the time and uh, hope folks get down there and, and spend some time at the Restored Delta once it opens up next year. Chris Kelleher with us here to uh, start the program. Stay with us. We'll do a little road tripping when we come back. 
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. The long and winding road that we take a little different approach to uh, our road tripping segment this week with spring, hopefully around the corner. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a skier, so I don't want winter to go away too quickly here. But spring skiing's a whole lot of fun, too. We are road tripping with the boys, Bob and Mark, Bob Grove, Mark Wade. Uh, Mark, good morning. Good morning, Tim. And uh, Bob Grove, hello there, buddy. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, you both told me that you'd like to talk about, you know, we often talk about destinations. And what was the John Stockton quote? It's been said by many people, but when he retired, he talked about people were asking him about disappointment in his career for not uh, uh, getting a, a NBA championship. And he laid that old line out there that it's not the destination, it's the journey. We're talking about the journey today, Mark. We are. We're going to take people from Hanksville on Highway 95. Now, just to get a bearing of where Hanksville is, below Goblin Valley State Park, below I-70. And we're going to move to the southeast, down towards the Four Corners area on Highway 95. There's so many ways to get there, Bob. And uh, many of the less traveled roads really give you the most opportunity to see things along the way. They do. We we like to take the roads less traveled because they're generally they're more interesting points of interest along the way. And that's how I used to travel with my kids growing up. I always uh, made the journey the bigger part of the trip. Yeah. Mark, you wanted to start in the Henry Mountains. Well, the Henrys are just off to the west of Highway 95 below Hanksville. And the Henrys, you know, they rise up over 11,000 feet. There's three big peaks on these mountains. They're they're just above Bullfrog and Tickaboo, if that gives you an idea of where they're at. And they have a free-roaming herd of buffalo on there. And they also uh, kind of rise up out of the middle of the desert all by themselves. It's beautiful formations, and you can see so much from the top of those mountains. I don't think I've ever heard of Leprechaun Canyon. So if you just go to the east of the, the Henrys down Highway 95, there is a point. What They call them the Irish slot canyons, and Leprechaun, Shalala. Uh, there's one other, Bob, that's also Blarney. there. Blarney. There are three. Blarney, that's it. And there are three slot canyons, almost side by side by side. And you can walk up into them or you can rappel down into them. And they're just beautiful little slot canyons you go go explore right off the highway. I thought you were scolding Mark there for a minute. Blarney! Uh, Blarney! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, There's some hog springs to talk about, Bob. And tell me, Hogwarts has nothing to do with Harry Potter. Oh, it has everything to do with Harry Potter. Of course it does. It's if you want to rappel through a, a hole in the rock down through an arch and into the uh, wash below. It's a really a great little rappel. But, you know, I mentioned the Hog Springs mostly because an easy landmark to find. It's just a pull out on the side of the road with a restroom to trailhead to get to Hogwarts um, and to Hog Springs. But it's also a good starting point if you want to see the Moki Queen pictograph, which is just down the highway, a short uh, walk probably less than a quarter of a mile and you just cross over a little spring and then you hike up underneath this big alcove and you'll see the Moki Queen pictograph there, which is a barrier canyon style pictograph, which is unique to that region. 
so that's why I mostly put that out. It's a little picnic area at Hog Springs, so it's a good turnout to uh, to take on your. But what we're talking about today basically are some routes that are going to present some nice alternatives and options if you're planning trips down into the southeast Four Corners region of the state that you may not have thought of. Most people are going to go down from Moab and head straight down through the state, but this is a nice option that's going to include a lot of very interesting points of interest, including those that Mark mentioned, the Moki Queen pictograph. Uh, Leprechaun Canyon is a slot canyon that you can actually walk through, uh, which is a nice option for families. Yeah. Um, as a tour uh, planner, you have become a map savant, I think, <laughs> with some of these back roads. Uh, but, Mark, talk to me about uh, the Cheese Box Butte. I love some of the names that are thrown on these things. Well, Cheese Box Butte is down near Fry Canyon. You're just off the highway. These these are all things that we're saying are right off Highway 95. So this is about middle of your route. And down in the Fry Canyon area, which is just a mass of, of uh, formations and open rock formations, and Cheese Box, Box Butte sticks out just off the north of the highway. You've got Fry Mesa there. And you're kind of down by Natural Bridges National Monument, which sits in the middle of the Bears Ears National Monument now, which has been designated. And the Bears Ears, those those are named after these formations that look like the ears of a bear. But Natural Bridges, right off the highway again, or not very far off the highway, are all these bridge formations that have been carved by wind and they're just It's a beautiful national monument that you can just walk through and explore, and these are all easy things to get to from your car. I wish more people knew about natural bridges, uh, Bob, because I, I think most of the time they just go to Moab, you know, and they'll uh, head there t- uh, to the national park and not drive a little bit further to have the experience. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting points about natural bridges is the, the first international dark sky destination in the world. Hmm. They were the very first, you know, Utah has more an international dark sky destination than anywhere else on Earth. And this was the very first one. And so it's a very interesting stop. It has a three major uh, bridges inside it that Mark mentioned, but it's just off the road. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to get to. On our 43 parks in uh, 72 hours trip years ago, which was madness, <laughs> and uh, we bit off more than we could chew on that one, we learned what a Kiva is about. And if you want to learn some history, there's a good place to do it. Yeah, just right off of 95, there is the Mule Canyon Kiva. It's just right off the road. you got to be watching for the sign or you'll pass right by it. But you can uh, park. There's a little parking area, and you can walk out to it and see a Kiva. You know, and, that, and usually you have to go to places like Mesa Verde and areas like that to really see a nice Kiva. But there's plenty of them on Mesa, on Cedar Mesa in this area that has some of the most uh, amazing archaeological sites anywhere in the Four Corners region. There's so many more we could talk about, but uh, we're just doing a little thumbnail sketch of things and the reasons why you should look for the road less traveled. I just want to let everybody know, and I I sent you a text, Bob, and hopefully you told Mark, uh, that this week I wrote a a quick piece for our website, kslnewsradio.com, about uh, winter visits down to Bryce Canyon, and I used one of your photos and put a link to your uh, website, which is Road Tripping with Bob and Mark. All the information we talk about with these two guys that know so much about getting off the beaten path is available on that website. As always, Bob and Mark, thank you. You bet. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. We will uh, take another break. Let's see. When we come back, uh, we'll do a little uh, snow day segment here. Looking forward to talking with Davey Ratchford from Snow Basin. They have been 
blasted with snow over the last week. That's next. Crying for the day. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.